Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Farzad Rashidi, lead innovator at Respona. In this episode, Farzad shared how Vizmi went from 0 to 3 million in organic traffic and how they took that strategy and turned it into a new product. We then discussed why organic and paid search traffic impact retention differently and how customers that are actively searching to solve a problem have significantly higher retention. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Fazad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Fazad is the founder and lead innovator at Respona, an all-in-one PR and link building platform. Prior to founding Respona, Fazad was the director of marketing Vizmi. We actually started as the first marketing hire and then later uh, founded the company together with the founder of Vizmi, uh, which is today Respona. So, um, my first question for you today is maybe just give us a little bit about what Respond actually does, because what is an sure. all-in-one PR and link building platform? <laughs> sure thing. So just to put it very simply, Respond is a platform that helps other SaaS brands and, and other online businesses to connect with relevant publications in their space and collaborate with them on content uh, and with the goal of uh, basically earning these editorial backlinks and mentions to your website. So not only that would help obviously with brand awareness, but predominantly for improving your SEO and kind of helping you get more organic traffic from Google. Um, now there is a backstory behind it, Andrew. I'm not sure how deep you want me to get into it, but I'd love to tell you a little backstory of sort of how we ended up with the product. Yep. No, we can get to that as well. But the reason actually I asked you the question straight off the bat was just before recording this as well, I basically gave you a little p- a pitch and said that on the show, we typically don't like to sort of promote uh, products. And I was really intrigued as well when you said as well, this is not the goal uh, for us, for our podcast strategy. It's parts like one of part seven for our advertising strategy. So I'd actually like to dive into that a little bit uh, and yeah. understand like um, the strategy that you're taking now as well. I think podcast obviously is a great way. And you mentioned for awareness, but uh, maybe you want to elaborate a little bit uh, on that. Uh, 
Absolutely, for sure. I'd love to. So, um, Andrew, as you know, I, I joined as the first marketing hire at our parent company, Visme. Have you ever checked out Visme before, Andrew? Just are, are you? Aware I of what haven't. It does? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. No problem. So, Visme for folks who are listening, if you haven't heard of us, it's an all-in-one brand content creation platform for businesses. So, if you're a business, you're looking to create any sort of presentations, reports, proposals, etc. It's all-in-one hub that you sort of plug in your brand guidelines, and it will help you create really good looking professional content in a matter of a few minutes. Now, when I joined the company, it was a tiny little startup, completely bootstrapped. Uh, my co-founder now, Paymon, who is, is the founder of Visme, uh, basically handed me the product. It's like, all right, well, we built this really kick-ass product. Now let's go sell this thing. And uh, <laughs> we're like, okay, great. So uh, as you know, Andrew, there's a few main acquisition channels, paid ads, Call outreach and SEO. And, and for us at the very beginning, we knew sort of where we needed to put our focus on because call outreach for sales, uh, the price point wasn't there. So and we were we we're a very affordable product. So I think at the time we started like $15 a month. Uh, so it's not a type of product you would go hire salespeople, would go sell door to door. Now we have a sales team, obviously, for enterprise uh, companies, but at the time that was not the target market. Uh, paid advertising, as you know, also is, is a very expensive way to get eyeballs on your website. Um, and, and it's getting more expensive by the day. And there's a diminishing return on investment because meaning you double your budget, you, your conversions don't double. So the cost for acquisition is also um, on the rise. So at some point, it keeps up with your LTV and then it's not a very scalable channel anymore. So we were like, okay, well, let's put ourselves in the shoes of a customer and understand how they would potentially come and find a product like ours. And uh, it was very clear. So Andrew, let's say you want to create a presentation or let's say you want to create an infographic for this episode. What's the first step you do when you go and try to find a product? What's the first thing you research process? Google search. Exactly. So we're like, all right, we know where our customers are hanging out. So instead of us having to go and build a household name, let's go and show them places where somebody's looking to make a purchase, they will find us easily. So we're like, okay, great. We've heard of this SEO and content thing. And so let's start producing some bunch of blog posts and build some landing pages. And we did the keyword research, optimized our website, did all the good old uh, on-page SEO things, as SEO nerds like myself call it. And we put the website out and Guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it was uh, absolutely crickets. Now, just to give you the, the overview now, it's, that's a very depressing story. But now Visme today, it gets about, I would say, 3 million in monthly organic visitors, which is worth about a million uh, and a half in paid advertising that we're getting for free, quote unquote. Uh, we have around 14 million active users. We're doubling that year over year. 100 uh, team of close to about 100 employees, fully profitable, growing at a healthy rate, and we still are completely bootstrapped. So that gap didn't happen overnight. So the real, um, I would say, key to the success of Ismian, where we sort of went our, from zero traffic to 3 million, uh, was the process of understanding how Google works. And the process, the, the algorithm Google really uh, the built that helped them uh, sort of uh, when the search engine game was an algorithm called PageRank, which basically puts emphasis on how other relevant publications in your space are linking to you and referring to you and, and talking about you. And that's a vote of popularity in the eyes of Google. Now, we were like, okay, great. We know that just producing content and just putting your website out there isn't enough. 
uh, we're like, let's just try to go get some of those things that people call backlinks. And there's just so many shady stuff out in the industry. There's so much bad practice that we had to learn through the hard way. But basically, what we found out was that the best way that we could uh, gain an eyeballs on our website and get these backlinks that eventually helps our website get rankings at Google was by uh, having a good average strategy for link building. And that process, though, was extremely time-consuming and very manual in terms of um, efficiency was, was horrible. So what we basically did was to put together the whole process that was already working for us in terms of average, put it under one roof, and it just worked ridiculously well. We cut around 80% of average costs, skyrocketed our productivity, and we we're like, guys, this is awesome. So we decided to release it as a standalone product. And that's sort of the backstory of how Respondent was born as a separate product out of Visme. Very cool. Uh, I always like the stories where they have these spin-off products uh, that come out of a pain point or problem internally. And actually, it, it sort of we took a similar approach. One of the previous products we had was where we're trying to drive traffic uh, to our product. We were sort of thinking, okay, similar process. Like, what do we need to do to drive uh, traffic? Where are people searching for? And we we found a use case as well, the problem we had internally that wasn't working extremely well, uh, which was back then was just really trying to understand for advertising purposes, what were the different ad sizes that you needed to fulfill like the different ad platforms? Because they were always changing all the time. Uh, there was different That's templates. Right. And literally we did something uh, in this case where we just built a ad size guide, uh, launched it, product hunt, I think number one of the day. And then we started getting 20 to 40,000 organic visitors a month just purely like nice. focusing on delivering value. And but a similar strategy happened to what you mentioned now in the sense that because we had built this valuable tool, everybody started uh, sending backlinks or like uh, linking back to our site. Uh, in turn, like sort of grew organic search for the various uh, search terms. And we were actually outranking at some point like Facebook ad sizes. We were outranking Facebook and Twitter uh, for their own uh, specific key terms. But I really like the, the juice there came from everybody else linking back to the guide and saying, okay, go check it out and so forth. So the thing that I was interested to chat to you about today, looking at um, when it comes to general retention specifically, because obviously like we're talking about acquisition now, but acquisition is absolutely vital when it comes to uh, understanding who you're acquiring and uh, how long they're staying, because it really does differ from channel to channel. And something I've noticed and something you mentioned as well in the email is that Organic versus paid traffic tends to perform uh, very differently when it comes to retention. That's and right. I'm interested, like, from your experience, like, why do you see this happening? Or why do you, uh, like, what are some of your assumptions uh, for the reasons this is happening? Sure. And, and, you know, Andrew, over the years, I've experimented with different acquisition um, uh, strategies. And as a SaaS company, yes, it's nice to get those signups. But you're making a sale every single month. So at the end of the day, if you don't make your customers successful, they're not going to stick around. And uh, and it, the time and the resources you spend on acquiring and onboarding that customer would go down to waste uh, if they end up canceling after month two or three. So one thing that we want to put our uh, put emphasis on was not necessarily in terms when when it came to picking our uh, customer acquisition strategy, wasn't necessarily in terms of okay, what is the conversion rate. But exactly what, how much is the LTV in the retention of these customers? How long do they stick around? How successful are they going to be at the end of the day? And one thing that was crystal clear was that customers that are actively searching to solve a problem have a significantly higher retention 
than the ones that you cater to with paid ads or cold outreach uh, for a number of reasons. One is that they're aware of the problem in the organization and they're looking for a solution. So when you position yourself as a solution to a problem, not just a, as a product to sell, that at the beginning, it's just the type of people that you're bringing in are people that are coming in to you for help instead of you having to go to them and sell your product. Uh, and, and that's something that we've noticed that, uh, that impacts the churn immensely. Uh, and, and, and it's something that we wanted to also incorporate into op funnel and our marketing. We're like, okay, if we know these are the type of customers that are going to be sticking around, so let's go get more of these guys instead of me having to spend a lot of time and resources on hiring salespeople or on, on burning through our ad budget, bringing people in that aren't necessarily going to be sticking around just because the type of product that we sell is not plug and play. Uh, it's not something that you just turn on and it just starts generating backlinks to your website, right? You need the strategy. I often say it's kind of like buying a knife, right? You still need a chef to make food. And, and that food is, is obviously these backlinks. So that chef is, is, the, is a person who has a strategy, has a recipe, right? And, and comes in and, and executes. Now, if you don't have a chef in that organization who doesn't know how to make food, it doesn't matter how sharp your knife is. So we want to go sell these knives to professional chefs that are already cutting fruit with their hands and other tools and, and give them a sharp knife so that they can do what they already do, but 10 times faster. Yeah, uh, I, I understand that as well, like in the context of sales and uh, paid outreach channels. But when we talk about like paid ads specifically, I've noticed this trend and may, I don't know if it's the same on your end, but even just paid search where the, the two reasons you mentioned now shouldn't be the case where you see a different, uh, difference in opinions because people have literally searched for the problem that you're solving. They've right. been shown an ad and then um, they still haven't performed. But I've noticed this from probably about, six to 10 different companies uh, that have helped in the past with their data stacks, including Hotjar. Uh, one of them where retention was always strongest from like organic uh, search. Right. Uh, comparing that though, then to paid ads, which essentially could most likely be the same search terms, but just uh, being a paid ad, where it would be completely different. And I found this always very strange and odd. And I was hoping maybe like you've seen something like this where you have right. some, some good hypothesis of why it's happened. But that's right. That hypothesis, you're 100% correct. I believe by paid ads, you're referring to AdWords for AdWords, Google. Yeah, Google uh, what I had in yeah. mind, right, was social ads like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And, yeah. and, and as far as paid ads go, honestly, you're 100% correct. The intent should be very similar. What the only thing that I would say that would be different is in terms of credibility. Because if somebody's seeing your website ranking in organic search results, uh, that automatically buys you a certain level of credibility and trust that a paid ad necessarily wouldn't just simply because you got to be a legit company to get, you know, beat hundreds of millions of search results to be in the top 10 search results for that keyword versus kind of sort of buying your way through it. Uh, so I guess that does give a better impression at the beginning for a customer that's incoming. Uh, but you are correct. Uh, that is something that is a discrepancy there in terms of paid AdWords. 
I can buy that though as well. I can see that uh, being being the case. It's one of those things very difficult to measure and understand uh, at the end of the day. I think the only way you can really learn from this is like qualitatively, but it's just weird that I've seen this as a pattern, not just at one company, but at a few different companies. And it gets you to question a little bit about like the uh, paid platforms and what you're actually paying for as well at the end of the day. But I do That's see right. sort of that credibility being uh, something where I even see from my own personal behavior where I'll just normally try to skip past the ads to see which one is the first one ranking so right. that I can actually then uh, have a little bit more legitimacy uh, That's right. to it. Cool. So you advised me for a while, like you developed this internal process for yourself. You spun it out to become a product. You've, how long has the product been going for now? Like just give us some like rough indication uh, of when you launched and where you are today. Sure. So we launched uh, the beta version of our platform in late 2019. I think we started selling Respond in 2020 as uh, a paid beta. And um, what what happened was that very quickly we started ad growing that beta version uh, because a lot of companies were like, hey, this is cool. Let's use it. The app was sort of put together with duct tape because we didn't have a proof of concept at the time. So we hadn't put in the right infrastructures in place that we could handle a lot of the use cases, especially some agencies that came in and tried to use the tool. So it kept breaking and, and having issues. And obviously that led to horrible churn just because obviously somebody's paying for the product they expected to work the way they want it. So what we did basically was to take the year 2021. Uh, we're like, okay, guys, we have a proof of concept. So we put together a team of engineering and a design and, and all that. And basically a group, I would say five or six people and QA and basically rebuilt the entire infrastructure and back end and front end. <laughs> so it was a brand new software that we launched in November of 2021. And uh, basically since then, uh, we are in the process of launching our 1.1 version. So the 1.0 version that we launched in November of 2021 was basically did what the uh, beta version did, but just 10 times better in a way that in terms of performance, stability, um, and we haven't had any downtime since we launched uh, the 1.1 version, brand new infrastructure. So it's ready for scale. And then we basically started to build on top of that. And now we're actually launching our 1.1 version, uh, which is a, I would say four or five major new features uh, this weekend. So fingers crossed, everything will go well. But, uh, but basically, as you know, building software is kind of like building a puzzle, kind of like Legos. And so you sort of built on top of it uh, as you start developing new features. So we wanted to make sure we have a very strong foundation before we employ engineering forces to kind of start building on top of that um, uh, baseline. Cool. And so you started this, obviously, first marketing hired Vizmi, grew to director of marketing, built this platform internally, decided, okay, let's try and spin it off into its own little product. Um, Realized like you hadn't, you'd sort of put things together with duct tape, needed to rebuild. Today, what you know today, and if you were internally now at Vizme again, looking to get started, like would there be anything in particular that you'd do differently? Or do you still think it was the right choice to, to duct tape things together and uh, right. keep going? As far as the the product itself, I think it was good that we put together MVP rather quickly and and went to market and actually get people to pay for it and got a proof of concept of like, hey, this is a concept that other people are also willing to pay for. We're not the only companies looking to use this thing. So at the beginning, our mindset wasn't, hey, let's go 
and build a new business. We already had a business. The goal was, hey, we built this thing for our business. Let's go see if it can help other people as well. And the answer to that after a year of selling it was, yes, it is, in fact, a product that people are willing to pay for. Now, we did make quite a lot of mistakes along the way. It wasn't a perfect shot. And, and one big mistake that I made personally, and I'm guilty of that, is was sort of trying to cater to different markets instead of niching down and kind of focusing on link building, which was sort of our bread and butter. So link building outreach is vastly different from what you normally do in terms of promotion. So uh, uh, brand promotion is sort of broken down in an industry kind of into a few different segments. One is PR. So if you're looking to contact journalists, looking for a media database, that's an entirely different average process than influencer marketing, which you're trying to reach out to Instagram models and, and people on YouTube to promote your product, which is completely different from what we do, which is link building, which is basically you reaching out to other publications in your space and collaborating with them on text-based content. And also not necessarily just that, but, but figure out ways on how you can generate backlinks to your website. For example, podcast outreach, what I'm doing right now is one of those strategies. So I think it'd be cool to kind of uh, go through. I don't know how deep you want me to go through this process, but right now we are getting a backlink from churn.fm and, and, and that's part of a stra- average strategy that we did through response. So we found your podcast, did some research, we found that, hey, this is a great podcast. It's popular. It's, it's within our target market. And this is a type of podcast we can provide a lot of value to the audience who are listeners. And so let's reach out to Andrew and see if you'd be interested in having us on the show. And that's sort of, uh, the the type of outreach campaigns you can run with Respana. So kind of niching down on that. We're going to make sure to cut this part out of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spill the beans here. Yeah, That's yeah. right. No, it's not just so much also about getting back to the standard. It's also building relationships and partnerships with people in our space. So, uh, we, we're chatting now. We're buddies. Um, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's just the game of building relationships with people in your space and meeting other smart people and collaborating with them that's mutually beneficial to both sides is, is sort of the goal. And that, that is a, a vastly different product than, say, a, a media database that you reach out to journalists to send press releases to. So uh, that's something that we sort of were trying to do all of that under one platform, and it was just not uh, the way we wanted it. So uh, what we decided to do as part of that 1.1 or 1.0 launch that we decided to revamp our beta product was to get laser focused on link building and build a product really for SEOs. And, and that's where we saw most retention with as well. Yeah. Uh, I think as well, probably need to update then LinkedIn because I think when I read out the intro, it was like the all-in-one PR and link building platform. I don't know, is that still the case? So it's just really like- It is called LinkedIn. digital PR still what we say. Okay. Uh, so digital PR and PR are sort of different in a sense that- um, we basically focus on um, the average tactics that end up actually building backlinks to a website that end up moving the needle. Meaning that it's not a traditional PR platform where you create a press release and blast it to a database of journalists, but rather getting more targeted in terms of reaching out to niche blogs and podcasting or space to actually build these relationships in the, from the ground up. Cool. Um, so the next question I was interested then is obviously like, you launched a new product within uh, Vizme or spun it out at some point. It seems as the products have almost nothing to do with each other. Uh, That's right. In the sense they're completely different. What did the conversation go like 
there internally at the company? Like how did, was this decided that this would be a good idea for Focus or uh, for the company to do something like this? That's right. So Paymon was quite hesitant at the time. So I came up with the idea of Respondent and, and I remember I, I pitched it to him and he was like, I, you know, I'm a visual learner. You need to go build something like visually so I could see. So I went on InVision and just literally put together screenshots of a lot of different apps. Or like, okay, if we connect this, this, this would look something like this. And I made some sketches and put it together and basically pitched it to him as, hey, this is something that if nobody else uses, it's going to be very beneficial for our team internally. So let's go build it for ourselves, see how well it works. And then potentially, if it did, then we can also utilize this as a separate business. And our team ended up loving it and started using it. And we're like, okay, great. So we have that initial check mark. Now, let's also try to go and see how we can monetize this as a separate channel. But Paymo was quite hesitant because Visme at the time was doing very well and, and still is. Uh, but, but it was still at the very beginning and he, want, he didn't want to deviate the focus. So he was very firm at the very beginning that, hey, this is a separate entity. It's not going to be anything related to Visme in the first place because Visme is already a successful business and it's growing. So we don't want to distract yep. the, the team. So I ended up basically hiring another engineer and working with a completely separate team. So up to this day, we're still separate entities, separate companies, completely separate team uh, that they handle the product. It wasn't something, it was sort of incubated at, as an internal tool, but it's not something that we sort of um, are ingrained with. For sure, yeah. Because I, I can see definitely how like they are completely different businesses. They're quite completely right. different focus and definitely the one can uh, detract from the other way in terms of focus and energy and uh, time. So that makes a little bit more sense then. Um, cool. So I want to ask you a question that I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now and you join a new company. At this company, churn and retention is not doing great. Mm-hmm. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Fazad, like you're in charge. You need to turn around uh, churn in the next, uh, what is it, 90 days. Mm-hmm. And the catch here, though, is you're not going to tell me, oh, I'm going to go speak to customers, figure out what the biggest pain point is and start there, or I'm going right. to look at the data and see a thing. You're just going to pick a tactic that you've seen work previously and run with that blindly hoping it works uh, at this business that you've just joined so anything maybe from your experience at Respono or visme where you've seen uh, be effective at reducing churn relatively quickly and running with that blindly what would you do right so andrew i would not hire as a person who runs a SaaS business a person in charge of churn every single person in the company is in charge of churn uh, because churn in and out of itself is a symptom. It's not necessarily a, a problem to, to, to resolve as a, as a singularity. It's something that's ingrained within the marketing team. So at the very top of the funnel, who are the people that you're bringing in? For example, let me give you some examples so it makes sense. One of the use cases for Respana was a media database. We noticed that people who have a PR use case, they're willing to pay for the tool immediately. And they're willing to pay a heck of a lot more than the link building people do. But they have a one-time use case. They want to send one newsletter and that's it. <laughs> so the retention was one month. They would come in, pay, use the tool for sending out a press release, and they're done. They don't need to use it on a, on a daily basis. So we knew that from day one that, hey, the core product should be built for people who are looking to stick around and use it on a daily. And those people are content marketers who are looking to build backlinks to their blog posts because guess what? They're producing content continuously. It's not a one and done thing. 
So from the very top, we knew that we need to cater our marketing. So it's starting from our homepage and our target audience. And then the way we sort of uh, build our messaging was towards people who had the highest retention. All the way down to the product itself, building features that people who were looking to actually use this on a daily would be able to get the most value from. So we didn't go build a social media influencer database. We didn't go build a media database. You built a tool for content marketers who were looking to actually run average campaigns through. Now, and, and all the way down to the engineering uh, so and, and, and support. So it's not something that one person can be in charge of churn. I, I, I don't see how that could work. Maybe it's my inexperience, uh, but it's it's but what I've seen in my years working at a SaaS company Every single person in every single department's main focus should be, hey, how can we return customers in a way? So from anywhere from acquisition all the way down to support and upsell and customer success, all of these guys are in charge of churn. Yeah, uh, 100% agree with that uh, notion in the sense, like I think we mentioned previous to the show, we actually at Hotjar made a mistake in this where we tried to get a team set up in the beginning to solve for churn retention. But I do think what you mentioned now can be the responsibility of one person to get things aligned. And I think the the way you can help an organization from what you just mentioned now is really coming up with that strategy and then showing how every team in the company is responsible for improving that metric. So you may not be the one actually doing the work, but what you've just laid out now is like- I can see that. A plan, right. a plan for the team and diagnosing what the actual problem is. So like- we lose maybe 90% of our customers in the first three months. So we actually have an activation problem. We don't have a retention right. problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's make sure that the company's energies are focused on how do we activate users. So That's right. That would be like the alignment, the, the responsibility in that sense was making sure the team's aligned and understand how important it is. But yeah, absolutely. I do, I do agree with you there. there is a, it's a company problem. Like we're SaaS businesses, subscription as a service businesses. If people are canceling subscriptions, you don't have a business. Uh, so... Uh, or you just have like a um, a really, really leaky funnel that hoping at one point will get you to where you need to be. Um, what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? That is a great question, Andrew. And, and one thing I learned the hard way is that a lot of retention has to do with the product itself, not so much about the processes around it. And that's something that um, obviously, is is sort of it's not something to generalize for every type of SaaS business, of course. But at least I can speak to my experience, both at Bizme and Respana, has been that a lot of the times, um, a lot of people are get bogged down. Are okay, okay, let's let's move people to onboarding. So right now we do manual onboarding for every single person who signs up, or product tours. Let's go build product tours to show people how to use it. But if you take a look at some of the most successful SaaS companies, like for example, Slack, I always tell this to our product team. I was like, did anyone teach you how to use Slack? Did you have an onboarding with the Slack customer success team ever? Did you ever have to take any tours? Did you have to watch any videos? No. You open the product, it's crystal clear where you need to click and how to use it and what to do with it. And that's something that's ingrained in the product design and whatever they do is to keep things so simple so it just wouldn't require a whole lot of setup. Now, it becomes more complicated as you move up marketing, you cater to enterprises that need custom-built features and things get more obviously more complicated. So it's not something to say, hey, any company uh, that does onboarding is doing retention wrong. No, it 
it's often um, a, a good, um, I would say, band aid on the problem. But and that's something we're trying to shift away from because right now it becomes very, very hard to scale as as the company grows is to be able to manually. Uh, because people hate watching videos. They hate to take these product tours. They hate to have to talk to another human being, especially past uh, after COVID where you know every meeting is shifted online. So it's just so much inefficiency. So building the product in a way that is just so dumb and simple to use that wouldn't require a whole lot of these trainings and putting yourself in shoes of a customer saying, hey, let's say there is no product tour or video. The user has not watched a video and they have no idea what they're doing. They land on here. It should be crystal clear what the next step would be and what they need to do. So there's one big blue button. That's it. That's all there is on the page. Just click that. <laughs> and if your product's anything different, and, and, and that's something we are guilty of ourselves, it's, we're not at that point by any means, especially Respana. Visme obviously is a lot more mature product, so it's a lot more intuitive. But Especially with responders, it requires a strategy uh, uh, that is difficult for us, uh, for our team to kind of build that product in a way. But we're definitely moving towards that direction. Yeah, I, I like that. I think, though, if you, the examples that you mentioned, I would like to take a bet that they didn't start in that manner. Well, I'm pretty sure they didn't start in that manner. And that, like a lot of companies actually need to go through these manual processes, onboarding customers first to understand, like, what's the optimal process, like, what steps can we remove? How can we improve this? But I definitely agree. And I, I like there was actually a, a tweet by Jack Dorsey um, and it said sort of make every detail perfect and limit the number of details to perfect. Uh, so in the sense of like just really focusing on a, a minute number of things that you do, but do those things extremely, extremely well, um, okay. that it almost, like you say, becomes irrelevant to have an activation uh, flow or to have an onboarding experience or need to handhold people with videos and things like that. That's right. But to achieve that, I think like there's very few companies that actually get to that state where they're able to execute at that level uh, and that sort of create that sort of user experience. Uh, but it's magic when it does happen. Like I think the example you mentioned Slack for me always, I think that is probably one of the best onboarding experiences you can have in terms of a product. It's changed slightly over time, but I just remember my initial experience of Slack and how seamless it felt at the time compared to everything else just getting set up. And uh, that's right. I think that's a goal for any uh, SaaS business. Like they've set the bar. Uh, so nice. Um, right. So I think we, we're running up on time now. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Like anything they should be aware of uh, from your side? Of course. You know, Andrew, I was uh, very lucky to have been uh, in an environment where I've had access to very successful entrepreneurs in the SaaS space, and I've seen them grow and become very successful. Uh, Paymon, founder of Visme, uh, founder of Uscreen, there's a bunch of other SaaS companies that I'm, I was very lucky to know their founder closely. And, uh, and it's often very discouraging for me as a founder uh, when you listen to these podcast interviews and some of these founders make the whole process of figuring things out so easy. Uh, I remember I was listening to this interview with the founder of Typeform. And the guy just said something that I was just almost like, I just paused that, uh, the podcast and I was like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. Uh, he, he said, I think he asked him, he was like, so how did you acquire your first group of customers? And he said, yeah, the million dollars in ARR came to us pretty, pretty natural organically with no, not much effort. I was like, not much effort for first millionaire R. I was like, okay, it's almost implying that um, 
uh, we were doing something wrong. And we weren't. It, it, most companies, 99.9% of SaaS companies I know, it's an uphill battle to get there. And churn or retention takes time for it to nail. And it is bound to be higher churn at the very beginning because your product isn't there yet. And it's a, a matter of continuous improvement that's going to solve that issue over time. And it's going to be an uphill battle. So don't get discouraged if your first group of customers you get churn out after a few months. Get uh, some feedback, learn from it, and move on. And, and until you hit a point that you're like, hey, I'll have a pretty good idea. What are some of these problems I need to resolve? To minimize that. And it's never going to be 0%. There's always going to be some group of customers who are looking to pause. And we have some very customers, very early customers respond of that use the platform two years ago that uh, one of them, got, uh, one of them, his name is Remy. He just emailed me, uh, I guess, yesterday. He was like, hey, man, just start a new business venture. And I remember uh, we're, we're focusing a lot on SEO. We, we need some help with building backlinks. I'll, I'm looking to get started with Respana. Let, let's uh, take a tour and see what's changed so far. And it's just very encouraging to hear that like two years later, this guy remembered us, <laughs> even though he used a very early beta version and, and, and he's come back and, and now is a paying customer again. So what I'm trying to say is that's, that's one thing I want to share with founders. Don't get discouraged. It is going to be very difficult at the beginning, especially when you kind of put your blood, sweat and tears in a product and you put it out there and people hate it. It is going to take some time for it to get to the level that you're actually proud of. For sure. I can echo that. I would just maybe exaggerate, not exaggerate a bit, but just say it's fucking difficult. It's That's not, right. <laughs> it's not easy uh, to get there. But the the thing the Typeform CEO mentioned, actually, that's something I've heard is also really like from David uh, Dominic in the past, like having conversations with him, uh, CEO of Hotjar. And he sort of said like, if getting to your first million in ARR is really difficult, you should probably think about quitting because it only gets more difficult like over time. And like, the businesses that are going to stand the test of time and that are going to last are the ones that actually get there relatively quickly and easily because you've you're able to show that there's like a big market uh, there. There's a lot of interest and demand, and from then on out, the problems actually get bigger. They don't get easier. Uh, we like to think that oh, when we get to that milestone, it's going to be easier. But I also do echo your point in the sense that. Uh, the first version of a product that you launch is normally going to be likely, the likelihood is going to be very shitty and it takes a few different iterations uh, to get to a point where actually people are starting to love it and uh, starting to come back. And funny enough, like I literally also had something similar happen to me today in the sense that we have a deletion flow in the product where people say, I'd like to request a deletion for my account. Um, we had quite a lot in the beginning when we first launched that slowly started to taper off. And today we actually had the first person saying, I'd like to delete my account because we're signing up with a business account now and uh, I want to move from personal to things. So like the deletion messages are even changing now. But if we had to like give up in the first uh, time when we launched and everybody was like, uh, like not even using it, not even telling us we're right. shit. It's like, that was the worst part. Like nobody was telling us that we shit. So I right. think uh, like when, when you're getting the feedback, I think that's really a good signal to start. But I, I'm still not sure of like, when do you feel you have something? If it's if it should feel easy, I think at the early right. stage. Otherwise, you've got to keep iterating till it till it does. It is, yeah, I, Andrew. I agree with you on both sides. I think there is going to be a level of balance. If you're spending five years in a product with a dead end and you still hit a plateau in the revenue, you can't grow. Maybe start looking for other channels. So obviously, there is going to be some gaps. You can't talk in absolute terms, but. The first few years is bound to be difficult. And I've seen lots of lots of companies that I've personally seen being very successful. And uh, they take some time for that to get that 
hockey stick momentum. And and until you get there, um, hang it on, hang hang in there. It is it, it does get easier in a sense that you can actually see results as you make changes, uh, but problems never go anywhere. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, cool. Uh, Fazad, thanks very much for joining. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, for the listeners, we'll definitely make sure to have um, the details we discussed today in the show notes um, to check out uh, what the guys are doing at Respona. But thanks a lot for, for joining and wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. This was fun. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.